Hey, go ahead, if you wouldn't mind, grab your Bibles or your devices, and you can turn to James chapter 4. James 4. We're going to be going through verses 13 through 17 this morning. Man, I was thinking about uh, just this past year, as we all seem to think about constantly, because uh, it's such a matter of conversation, and I was thinking about last January of 2020, and going into the year, and I remember looking at my calendar, I remember thinking, man, this is the, like, this is just the thickest calendar. It's the, it's the densest calendar I've ever had in my life. There's a lot of things on the plate for 2020. And I remember just being a little worried, you know, with, with, with everything that I had going on. And it turns out in March, I had nothing to worry about at all when it came to my calendar. And I remember there was this moment and it felt like it was like, I don't know, like a one day, like a two hour period where I just got all of these emails and all of these texts and everything just said cancellation in the subject. And I remember just going through my calendar going, delete, 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 delete. I, everything was deleted. And then I remember we went into the fall, if you guys remember, and uh, you know, numbers were starting to look a little bit better. Um, we were enjoying um, uh, some of the restrictions lifted a little bit with some freedom. And um, sure enough, because I'm, I love Christmas, you know, the calendar started to stack up again in December. And I was like, man, I'm pumped because December, you know, we have all these fun things and all these connections. And um, I was really looking forward to that time. I do anyway. And I was really looking forward to it because of the year that we'd had. And then, uh, man, we had this massive outbreak in the church of COVID. And I think on, you know, like what, November 30th or whatever that was, and I remember just, it was the same thing. It was just like my life had just turned into like a series of deletes, you know, and it was just delete, delete, delete. And like all the things, all the stuff in December was, was gone, right? Um, one of the many lessons COVID should have taught us is that we are clearly not in control. We're not in control of, of anything. And the control that we think we have, that James is going to kind of drill into us uh, this morning, is, is kind of a facade. Uh, Daniel, the Old Testament prophet in his book, chapter 2, he says this, he said this, uh, speaking of the Lord, he said, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I mean, all the things we thought we knew last February, we didn't know. And yet, the light continued to dwell with God who knows all things and who still has that year perfectly contained within his hands, whether we like to believe it or not. So what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack um, this idea of boasting. And we're going to unpack sort of the, the evil of it, which James points out, which might sound a little sharp, and also the absurdity of it so that we act from wisdom instead of from uh, arrogance. And so two weeks ago, before Easter, we learned from James that judging, we learned about judging and what it means to judge another person. What we learned about judging is this, is that it's putting yourself in the place of God by determining another person's fate. 
And this week we're going to learn a little bit about boasting. And this is how James essentially defines boasting, in that it's putting yourself in the place of God by determining your desired future. Man, we've all known boastful, braggy people. Maybe you're one of those boastful, braggy people that we all know, right? James is not simply going to say to us today, hey, stop bragging, you insufferable know-it-alls. That's not really his message, but he wants to help us guard against living a life, listen to this, that is void of God. Because when you're boastful, there's something deeper going on than just telling people your big plans. Listen to what he says as we dive in here. Chapter 4, verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. That's God's word for us today. So we're going to learn three truths about the boastful heart this morning, according to James. The first one is this, is that a boastful heart is one that assumes what only God can know. A boastful heart is one that assumes what only God can know. Proverbs chapter 27, 1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. The reality is that we don't like knowing We don't like not knowing what is impossible for us to know. We don't like being in a position of vulnerability before the Lord. If we really break down what's going on when we have boastfulness kind of just just coming out of us, that's really what it is, is we don't like being in a position where somebody knows something that we don't know, and that's someone we're actually having the most issue with in those moments is God. We want to know what only the Lord can know. And by the way, doesn't very often reveal to us, especially when it comes to our plans for the future. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it helps us here. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Many of you have heard this passage. And do not lean on your own understanding. Our level of understanding when it comes to our life has so many limitations. The wise person acknowledges those limitations. This illustration could get me in trouble, but I was talking to a friend about poker last week. And uh, he was sort of like kind of sharing his, uh, some you know, vast knowledge he has of the game. I don't really know that he did, but I was just listening to be kind. Um, but, I've heard, but I've heard this, but I've heard this. And he told me that the really skilled poker players out there usually fold their hand early. They don't lean into a hand that only has a small chance of becoming a winning hand. Ironically, they're not going to gamble on that. They wait, they hold back. When we assume what only God can know, we attempt to put ourselves in the place 
of not having to trust the Lord. Because in that moment, we think the odds of leaning into our own understanding and our own experience is our safest bet. But godly wisdom tells us that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. And you know what's interesting? When we understand that, when we acknowledge that, when we don't make the assumption to try to know what only God uh, can know, we will experience a kind of godly peace when we acknowledge that there is someone other than ourselves who ultimately directs our paths. Proverbs 16.9 tells us, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So what does that mean? Well, it's not that we don't make plans for tomorrow. That wouldn't be good stewardship. We're taught to make plans. It's that we make our plans with a heart of humility that seeks the Lord, and wait for it, the counsel of brothers and sisters, instead of assuming knowledge we don't have. So it's utilizing the gifts and the wisdom and the knowledge that God has placed around you, that is sitting around you right now when it comes time for you to make plans about the future. So instead of shooting your mouth off, and instead of having a boastful heart, instead of assuming what only God can know, we step back and say, I don't know what God knows, but I'm going to make a good plan, and I'm going to bring other people into it so that I can receive godly wisdom and godly counsel. That's where the body of Christ is supposed to work for us when it comes to how we make plans and how we see the fruition of those plans help us. So number one, a boastful heart assumes what only God can know. Secondly, it ignores what only God can provide. So here's what we know about wisdom. Wisdom is this truth that comes to us and then we go with that truth and rightly apply it in all these different aspects of our life. Wisdom is what keeps us grounded in what's true. Wisdom is kind of the fertilizer for the truth in our life. It keeps the truth in our life playing out in the most truthful way. And James reminds us that what's true is that our life can be compared with he says right here in 14 and 15, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I mean, talk about using one of the most extreme and sobering analogies of all time. My life is like a mist. Like you couldn't have gotten a little denser than that, James, right? You couldn't have said it's like chocolate milk, right? I mean, we couldn't get a little denser than, than mist. When's the last time you looked out the window and reflected on all the mists hovering over the grass and over your gardens, right? When's the last time you gave any thought to the steam coming from your kettle on the stove? Why is that? Because it's literally gone the second you almost look at it. Our life has a mist-like quality to it. Your life is like that. It's misty. My life is like that. You see it for a second, it evaporates into the air. None of y'all 
have ever told your kids to go outside and play with the mist, right? Nobody has ever said, hey, in the morning, I got an idea. Let's gather all the mists together and put them in a jar to use for later. Why is that? Because we're unable to contain or control mist. It disappears in a second. James is comparing our lives to something that evaporates as quickly as the quickest thing probably that we can see with our eyes that evaporates in our world. James asks us, what is your life? Do you ever think about that? Is that question ever posed to you in the circles that you're in? Do you ever reflect on that? I mean, some of us, man, we are just running. We don't just pull back for a minute and say, dude, what am I doing? James is giving us the opportunity to do that. He's saying, what is your life? That feels like an important question for us. What is your life? Consider, he's saying, its mist-like quality. This should just move us to reflect on our own lives and take an inventory on whatever it is we're planning, whatever it is we're dreaming of, whatever it is we're conceiving, what kind of plans that we're trying to hatch. What are the things you're building in your life that cause you to boast to others about? James is saying... Because our life is so mist-like, such boasts are filled with ignorance. What does that mean, that they're filled with ignorance? Well, this is what it means. They are ignoring that God is responsible for what you have and what you will do. So So for us just to just push forward at all times, making plans, dreaming dreams, trying to birth new ideas without any consideration to God, without ever bringing anybody else in for wisdom. You are ignoring something important in the economy of what it means to say that you have submitted your life to Christ, which is that you don't know because your life is a mist. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who sees anything different in you? He said, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? He's saying, why do you boast as if you were the one responsible for attaining it? So we do harm to our lives when we ignore its mist-like quality and live as if we're in control of the times and the seasons. There's a better way. It's better for us to gain humility and sobriety in our lives. Like David who writes in Psalm 39 when he said, Oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. David is pleading to God. He said, give me perspective. I lack perspective. Why? Because I'm a human being and I lose it all the time. Then he says this, let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths 
and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Man, this just kind of wrecks you, doesn't it? Like the truth of this. There's almost like this surreal quality about it. It's like facing something that we don't want to face, that we're all facing, whether we believe it or not. You know, it was interesting. I was literally typing this last sentence in yesterday, and I got a text from Melissa who sent me a message that was posted about a pastor friend of mine in Pasadena who's about my age, and um, he died in a motorcycle crash. Yesterday morning. What do you do with that? What, what do we do with that? None of you all knew him. I knew him. We weren't really close. But I had spent enough time with him where I can see his face. I can visualize some of the conversation. I can recall some of the conversations we had. I, I, I know who he was married to. I know how many kids he had. I know a few details about his life. And I know that when he woke up on Friday, like I woke up on Friday, that wasn't part of the plan. He didn't know. He probably wasn't thinking or refer- maybe he was, but he likely wasn't reflecting on the fact that he had one more day. That was it. Now, this was a godly dude. But just like that. And you tend to get more reflective about these things as you get older, right? Because you have some things in view and you have some things in the rearview mirror that you just tend to gain with age. A little bit younger, you're like, nah, mist-like. My life feels like oatmeal right now. It's like thick, it's like deep, right? You stick that spoon in it and the thing just sticks, right? And yet James takes no account for age here. So boasting assumes what only God can know, it ignores what only God can provide. James gives us a better approach in verse 15 when he says, instead... You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is an internal change of posture. What James is suggesting is that we are taking ourselves out of the driver's seat. It's saying, God is not my co-pilot. He is my pilot, and I'm his passenger. And passenger might be putting us in too high of a spot actually. It's saying, God is king over my life, and even though I'm going to make decisions, I'm going to hold them loose because what's most important is not my will, but your will be done. When we say, if the Lord wills instead of I will, our boasting will be transformed. Why? Because it's being transferred to God at that point. And then 1 John 2 tells us how we do the will of God. And John reminds us by saying, hey, listen, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, 
It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this transformation of our will, what's happening when that happens is that, in fact, our desires are being altered. The things that we are holding on so tightly to, the plans that we are trying to hatch, the dreams that we are trying to vision, they get taken into the context of a king who's ruling over our life and might have something different in mind. Let me tell you something about my friend Chuck, who I told you passed away on Saturday. He wasn't cheated out of any time in this life. God gives us out of his goodness and his grace the times and the seasons, the number of days that he grants us. Now that's not to push against the grief and the pain that is being experienced by his church and his family right now because it's deep. But it's saying nothing happened on that motorcycle with Chuck on Saturday morning that God wasn't fully aware of and fully in control over. And you have to believe that. Because if you don't, you are somebody that is going to exhaust yourself with the plans that you continue to make that keep God on a shelf, that keep the church on the other shelf, that you storm ahead with hoping for the luck of the draw every single time. And then you experience collapse when it doesn't go like you hoped. The third truth about a boastful heart is that it propels us into the sin of omission. So there's two sins. There's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. A sin of commission is simply just breaking one of God's commands. So that would be me just having a conversation today with Melissa and just lying to her, for example, about something. That would be a sin of commission. I, I know that I'm lying about something that I'm talking to her about, but I'm just doing it anyway. I'm breaking a command of God. A sin of omission, it's a little more subtle. It's a little different. It's failing to do the thing that God has commanded you to do. So basically, you can look at it like it's not doing what God has asked you to do rather than doing what God has said not to do. And the thing about a boastful heart is that it's subtle because it's not breaking a command of God to simply make plans. But it is when we make plans and ignore God's right place as ruler over them. That's why in verse 17 it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. James says this kind of arrogance is evil which should change how we think about our boasts and our boasting. Because it means that it comes from a heart that assumes what only God can know. It ignores what only God can provide. And it puts us in this terrifying company of people that Jesus had some strong words for. 
of false prophets and teachers, words that the Apostle Peter had some strong words for, words that the Apostle Paul had some strong words for, words that James has strong words for that were warned about becoming like. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter 2. He says he's describing these kind of false prophets, these kind of false teachers, these people that have a boastful sort of... uh, countenance and a boastful uh, way about the way they interact with their neighbors and with their community. And look what he says. He says, this is how he describes them. He says, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For, listen to this, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So, boasting is committing the sin of omission because it doesn't take in account that Jesus Christ is ruler over our lives and it just storms ahead like he's somebody that doesn't exist. The other thing it does is it leads others astray because it communicates something about God that isn't true. Have you ever thought of your boasting like that? You're communicating something about God that isn't true because at its root, boosting, boosting, (laughs) boasting over promises and it under delivers. This is what it says. It says, listen, the way to freedom is to take the bull by the reins. It's a worldview that says, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Don't let anyone take away your rights. You do what you want to do. You be all that you can be. I mean, I just described like 15, like, you know, shoe commercials right there with that one. But God calls that enslavement to corruption. What? It's thinking that the safest place for you to be in is when your dreams are coming true, when your rights go unchallenged, and every plan that you have dreamed up, that you have hatched, that you've conceived for your life should be fulfilled. It's seeing God as an administrative assistant in your life rather than king over your life. He's there to help you achieve your goals rather than be your God. By the way, a God who holds your times in his hand, as David writes in Psalm 31. There's a better way for us. There's a better way for us the first of those better ways is that we would acknowledge God in all of our ways. How do we go from having a boastful heart about all of our plans and ideas and dreams, even though we live in this mist-like existence? We acknowledge God in all ways. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's saying by acknowledging that God is king and ruler. It means that whichever way we turn with the limited amount of wisdom and knowledge we have, God will direct you. 
See, sometimes we're, we're the opposite of being boastful and we're, we're, we're fearful. Man, I don't know. I, should I turn left? Should I turn right? Like, should I take that job? Should I take that job? Man, how come scriptures didn't tell me what car to drive? Like, I've just been going through all these books and like, nobody says like what town, it, it doesn't say like in the book of Job, what town I'm supposed to move in. Well, God has given us a mind. God has given us wisdom and people to help us gain perspective in those things. And you know what? When we go to those lengths, sometimes we still make decisions that turn out not to be the best decision. But what does God do? Well, God redirects. And God uses those moments when we didn't maybe make what looks like on the outside the best decision to end up being the best decision for the work that he did to shape us while he redirects us where he originally had us going the whole time. Do we not believe God is sovereign? What is he up there just sort of like unsure? Oh no, man, I moved him that way, but he, but he keeps slingshotting back that way. Where we get into trouble is that we are not acknowledging God in all of our ways. And brothers and sisters, that means all of our ways. That means every move that we make, we say, God, you are king over me. Is this what you have for me? Secondly, we not only acknowledge God in all of our ways, but we boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. These are the pathways to freedom right here. To let God straighten our paths. To be commended by the Lord. This last year, all of its limitations, all of its restrictions, it's shown the church some things. It's shown the church that maybe it was operating from a boastful heart all these years. How do we know that? Because when all of our plans were taken away, we became angry. And we became uncharitable. And we became very unlike Jesus, who said, not my will, but your will be done. The church so easily forgot that it was Jesus who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the heart that Jesus has for us. So when our hearts boast in his heart, our hearts become transformed into ones that reflect love, grace, mercy, humility, and wisdom. And then our plans change from working to establish our own empires to furthering the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ who frees people from becoming enslaved to their own plans and boasting in the wrong person themselves. 
there is a better boast. When we boast in ourselves, it comes from wanting approval from people who can't give us the most satisfactory version of what we want. We have to keep topping ourselves to receive it. Boasts just compound upon boasts to receive the affirmation and the approval that our hearts are actually craving. But imagine if you received approval not based on your own plans, but on the plan that God made to give you a steadfast love and an eternal life with Jesus that isn't dependent on any of your plans. That's the better boast. That is the boastful heart that you need and that I need. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need boastful hearts, but they need to boast about the right thing. And not the right thing, but the right person, who is Jesus Christ. So God, as we consider and reflect on our own plans, on our own ideas, on our own dreams and visions, some of which have come from you, Lord, we're also taken back by the mist-like quality of our lives. Lord, we're sobered by it. I want to pray for my friend, Chuck. He was one of your servants. He was a faithful brother. Pray for his wife, Caroline, his two kids. Lord, this is the body of Christ all the way across the country that is grieving right now, trying to have a church service in an unimaginable situation. So Lord, would you meet them in this place and give them peace and comfort? But Lord, would you comfort our souls? Would you give us peace? Because we are a boastful people. And Lord, we aren't quick to pull back and pause and reflect and be reminded of our place in this world. We aren't quick to see you as king and ruler over our lives and to see the people that you've surrounded us with as giving us good and godly wisdom to help us in decisions that we need to be making that will ultimately be to our flourishing and give you glory. So Lord, I just pray for sobriety this morning. I pray that you would teach us through this. You would humble us in this moment. Cause us to be reflectful as we go home today, as, we, as you, by your Spirit, recall these passages to our heart. I pray that if any of us need to go before you and repent of having a life that is seeking the approval of others through boasting, Lord, that you would slowly redeem that in us, Lord. Help our greatest boast to be in Christ and the cross, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.